I think this whole passage is meant to be taken together from verse 5 to that incident there with those two harlots. You know, we, 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 uh, you've heard the, whole, you heard the whole thing, the story about the genie, right? The genie, we don't believe in it. We know it's fictional type stuff. You know, the genie out of the bottle, the genie comes up, oh, I'll grant you three wishes or whatever. And uh, they, the genie says, you have three wishes. And, and when I was a kid, I said, what would I wish for? At first, I'd wish for a car. Then I'd wish for a lot of money. And my third wish, I'd wish for 10 more wishes. You know, and so I used to think of stuff like, what would you say if a genie gave you a wish? You know, how about one wish? I know we don't believe in genies. It's God. This is just imaginary stuff, okay? What would you get? You know, what if somebody said you can have something, uh, anything you want, you know? What would it be? Anybody want to say anything? Yeah. World of peace. Yeah, world of peace. Spread God's word. Yeah, good. 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 Anybody else? All right. Nullified, yeah. <laughs> we know they're forgiven, but it's hard to undo maybe some of the corrections, yeah. Amen. That's right. That's right. So we did this thing uh, for Beth yesterday. We had a, kind of a little family get-together for her birthday and and Sarah did some games for people. Uh, it was, you know, in kind of to get to know you, even though we're family and friends. And, you know, people read a little paper statement. And one, mine was like, you know, use three words to describe yourself. And then somebody else had something else. And name some embarrassing moment in your life or something. And it kind of went around, just kind of chuckled. And the original one I had was like something like... Um, the genie says you have one wish of something unlimited that you can have. Isn't that how it was worded? Something like that. Okay. And I was like, okay, one thing you can have that you can have that will they'll be unlimited. I thought, oh, okay. And I was just barely kind of thinking. And, th- and then she said, oh, you can trade with other people. So by that time, Susie and Cayman are right here. And Susie's wanting to trade with me. She trades with mom. She wants to trade with me. I'm like, here, Susie, just take this one. I ended up getting the one that said, describe yourself in three words, which eventually was my, which first was my wife. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, I'll just use this. So Susie had the one that said, you know, the genie says you have one wish of something unlimited. What would you want? And so when it got around to Susie, Susie's like, well, I kind of want to be materialistic and say money. But <laughs> it's just strawberries, you know, just strawberries. I'm like, well, that's okay. All you can eat strawberries forever unlimited, you know. And so, kind of silly. Do you have one? Our kids are out spiritualing us tonight. Man. <laughs> World peace, everybody gets saved, the gospel, and we're all like, who wants some more money? You know. So, okay, so here, this is a scenario like Solomon, right? Isn't it? Look at, look at this, look at verse, um, it's not the genie, this is God. He, he's real. Genies are just fictional, fic, fictional things. Verse 5, what does it say? In Gibeon, this is a place not far from Jerusalem, this is one of the places they are worshiping. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give thee. Whoa, blank check. What do you want? Ask me. 
I mean, there was no asterisk to buy it that said, well, what do you want me to give you? That's, you know what he's doing, right? He's testing Solomon. What's he going to ask for? God already knows what's going to happen. God already knows Solomon. In some ways, tests are to help us see ourselves and get the feedback from God. So he's in this position where he said, ask. The scripture, this whole story, kind of the essence of this story is the scripture, in this scripture, the Holy Spirit is showing us in these verses that to choose what? To choose wisdom is better than all the other choices. That's really what it's saying. Again, the scripture teaches, the Holy Spirit is showing us by example in this whole prayer scenario and the proof of his wisdom scenario, the Holy Spirit is showing us that when, if we were to have a scenario where God says, what do you want? You know, provide that we're already a believer, we're already saved, anything you want. That saying, I need wisdom is one of the best things you can say, ask of God, above wealth and popularity. That's the intent of this passage. And it's not only the intent of this passage. We could run to, we won't, I'll give you the references, Proverbs 3.13, Proverbs 8.11, Proverbs 16.16, 16, Ecclesiastes 9. There's several other passages in the Proverbs that say wisdom is what? Better than what? Rubies, diamonds, gold. Wisdom's better than strength. Wisdom's better than weapons of war, it says in Ecclesiastes. Wisdom's better. It's kind of like, you know, it's better to have a, a guy who's maybe really, really wise with a, a bow and arrow than somebody maybe that's foolish and doesn't know how to use a modern weapon. You know, it's saying that the know-how and perceptiveness and the right application of knowledge is better than, than some of those other things. It's better than, you know, it's, is it, isn't it better to have for somebody who's wise and economical and thoughtful to have only $100 than somebody who's really rash and impulsive and self-centered to have 10000 Yeah, it's better to have a guy who's wise with $100 than a person who's not wise with 1000 or 10000 That's the point. So here, here's how this plays out. We're going to look at four parts of this passage where Solomon is choosing wisdom, and the essence is God's saying we should want to choose wisdom above so many other things. Our points are, we'll just go ahead, I'll tell you, the first one is we see the prayer for wisdom. The second thing, we'll see the praise of God for the wisdom He gets. Third thing, we'll see there's proof of His wisdom. That, that encompasses the bulk of that story about those two harlots. And then the last of all, we'll see that there was a product to His wisdom. All right? The prayer for wisdom is the first point. So here, remember, verse 5, And Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon by night in a dream and said, Ask what I shall give thee. And notice Solomon's reply. He's, he's acknowledging God's mercy to him. He says, Lord, you have been so good to my dad and so good to me. You've shown us great mercy and truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart, uh, according as my dad walked before thee. Verse, the end of the verse, he says that you have, you have given him a son to sit on, the thr- on his throne as it is this day. He acknowledges that God has been good to him. So in other words, God comes to him and says, what do you want? Anything you want. And he says, God, you've already been good to me. And then, mate, isn't that neat? Whenever we go to God and say, like, I need so many things from God, well, then go ahead and reply like Solomon. Well, first of all, God's already been good to me. I'm saved. I have a heartbeat. I've probably got some clothes on and some loving people around me and some food. So, God, you've already been good to me. That's a good way to start. That's how he starts his prayer. He acknowledges God's mercy. Verse 7 and 8, he confesses his insufficiency. Look at verse 7 and 8. Now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made me... Thy servant king, instead of David, my father. It's like saying, 
It's like Michael Jordan's son saying, hey, you, I got put on the bowls in, in my dad's place. I don't even know Michael Jordan's son, but I'm confident he's not as good as him, although we heard a lot about him. It's like Solomon, look, you put me on the throne in my dad's place. What shoes to fill there? See, we already think Solomon's great, but he's not great at this point. He's just, he's like, I'm just a little kid, man. Maybe he still had pimples and stuff. I don't know. But he's old enough to be married and have one child if you do a chronology of him. But he says, I just feel like a little kid. And you've, he says, God, look, verse, the verse uh, 7, you've made me king instead of my father, David. I'm but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. In other words, that's a phrase of going out and coming in. That's a phrase of the, the functions of a leader. He goes out before the people, and then he leads them out. He goes into a city before the people go in, and then he leads them in. He goes, I don't even know how to get out ahead of people, and I don't know what I'm doing. That's what he says. I feel like a little kid. Jeremiah said the same thing. Lord, I'm just, I'm just a child. And God said, don't say you're a kid. Quit saying you're a child. I'm going to put my spirit on you, and you're going to say, thus saith the Lord to those people. And that's what he did, and God strengthened Jeremiah, and he's strengthening Solomon. Solomon confesses his insufficiency, and that's what we should do in our prayer, like, like Paul did, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, God, to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. God makes me an able Dad, husband, pastor, worker, God enables us. And that's how we should be when we go to prayer. God, I'm insufficient. However, in light of that insufficiency, he requests something. Oh, verse, verse 8, by the way, he reflects on how, how many people. It seems it's almost intimidating. Look at verse 8. Thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. He's basically saying, look, I am a king. I'm in king in the... I'm filling the big shoes of my dad. I feel like a little kid. And not only that, there's a ton of people. And not that there's just a ton of people. They're God's people. God, I, I, don't, this is, I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't feel the shoes. I, don't, my brain, I feel like an empty head. I feel like a donkey and people need a racehorse. You know, he, that's kind of what he's saying. And so he, but he, this is great. This is the, it's wise to know that you need to pray for wisdom. So here we go, verse 9, he does the wise thing. Now, he says, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge between thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? Now, if you compare, there's a parallel passage, I think it's 2 Chronicles, or, yeah, 2 Chronicles 1. It's the same, it records the same prayer, and in that prayer he says wisdom. Here he says understanding. Later on, God acknowledges that he was actually asking for wisdom. So in essence, he's saying, God, in light of my insufficiency in filling my dad's shoes, being in a leadership role, being in a leadership role of so many people, and of this, that you're there, your people, and I feel like a little kid as it is, give thy servant wisdom, a wise and understanding heart to discern them and to perceive where they are and what they need on all these different scenarios of life. And that's what he prays for. So he makes his prayer for wisdom. And what does it say? Verse 10 through 11, God was pleased with that type of prayer. Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Isn't that good to please somebody? It is good to please somebody who's a good person. How much more to please the Lord? God is pleased with a prayer like this. And then it goes on that God lavishes him with the answer. Look what it says, verse 11, Because thou hast asked this thing of me, 
And hast not asked for thyself long life or riches for thyself or the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. I'm going to pause right there. God says, you know what? You did not ask self-centered things. So God hears his prayer. It's a humble prayer. It's a prayer with gratitude and a prayer showing he definitely needs help. God's pleased with it. And God compliments him back and says, you know what? You, this isn't selfish. You're not saying, hey, God, let me beat all the guys around. Let me beat Egypt and, and um, I don't think Greece. Yeah, maybe Greece was rising a little bit at the time. Let me beat all these other nations and conquer them. And, and, and let me be the bestest king there ever was. I know that's not good English, but I say it on purpose because, you know, he probably felt like a little child. Maybe he didn't have good English by then or Hebrew. So anyways, uh, he, he's not praying something like, you know, that's, that's uh, selfish. Like, God, let me have the coolest stuff, solid gold chariot. Can I have a solid gold chariot? Yeah, that would be cool. He doesn't ask for that. God says, you know, I noticed you didn't ask for long life and all the, the life of your enemies and all, all things that are more of just feeding yourself. God says, you know, because you've asked this thing, because you've asked this particular thing, I am going to give that to you, and I'm going to give it to you lavishly beyond what you're really asking me. I'm going to make it um, exponentially wise, unlike any other king there ever was, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. Unlike any other, I'm going to answer that, and I'm going to give you what you did not ask. <laughs> I'm going to give you, verse uh, 13, I will give thee also that which thou hast not asked, both riches, you're going to get riches, you didn't ask for it, and honor, so that there shall not be among the kings like unto thee, any like unto thee all thy days. And then he goes on to say, if you also in particular keep my commandments and walk in my ways like David, your father will extend your life. I think he could have been lived a little longer on that note because there was, he did get this answer to prayer, but one part of that he did, remember at the end, he, he, he divulged into accommodating his wife's paganism and he only reigned 40 years. He reigned 40 years a long time. He probably could have lived longer according to that verse. But anyways, God says, I'm giving this to you. I'm pleased with this prayer. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you know-how. What's a good definition of wisdom? We've kind of already said it, but what's a good definition of it? What is wisdom? Having straight A's? Yeah. Getting a bunch of scholarships and graduating from college, summa cum laude, da 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 to know the right moves, and, and I'll add, do it. Yeah. Go by tiny steps, yeah. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It's not knowledge in and of itself. It's the right use of it. It's like, I know, and I'm going to properly apply. Uh, that's what Webster's 1828 said. The modern Webster says it's the ability to discern inner qualities. We kind of see that aspect with Solomon, too. It's, it's the opposite. What's the opposite of wisdom? Besides the word foolishness, what's a person is like, they're not very wise. How would you describe a person who's not very wise? Ignorant. Slothful. Laziness is not wise. How many that's kind of mindless? Uh, educated, but not using their education. I know people who are, most Americans are pretty well educated. We just don't use, and a lot of Christians, we don't use the Bible knowledge we have. Some people are educated and they use it for evil. That's not wise. Some people are irrational. Some people are senseless. Some people are sim simpletons. You know the word simple in the Bible is not necessarily a good word like a compliment. Like we say I'm a simple person. In other words, 
we're pretty basic. We're kind of, we usually when we say that, we're like, we're kind of a minimalist attitude of life. But when the Bible says simple, it means somebody who's very naive and does not have any depth and needs to dig a little deeper on their understanding and educating themselves and know how to act properly and look beyond the surface. The word simple means simplex. It means one, it means one ply. If that keeps beeping, um, in fact, Brother Adam, go look, go look at that. Press the, I think it's 5208 silence. I have a little sticker on it that tells how to do that. <clears throat> I think there might be a little wiring issue. Right at the top, there's that sticker. Okay. All right, so we're talking about Solomon's prayer for wisdom, his prayer for wisdom. So before we go to the next point, is the Bible, does the New Testament say something like this? Can you relate with anything yet? Like in the New Testament that says something that we can relate with right at this point with Solomon praying for wisdom? What's that? Yes. Anybody remember what that says? James 1, 5, 6, 7. Yes. Remember that? Did you know that? It's kind of like in James, James passes along a word. He's basically saying to us as like modern day young Solomon's, hey, if anybody of you feels like a little kid too, like you can't fill the shoes of what's in front of you, like even though it's only a little role at work and you feel just like a little child, if any of you lack wisdom, had a mask of God that giveth to all men lavishly also, liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, tossed, driven, and to and fro. Let not that man, who doesn't ask in faith, think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. So there's, a, there's that bridge from the Old Testament, whoa, cool thing of Solomon getting wisdom to the New Testament. It's like, you can do that too. And that's the blessing of this verse, is that we need to do that too. I, I feel like I'm always on welfare, and I'm on God's wisdom welfare program. I'm always coming, all right, God, I need some more wisdom here. And he gives it to me uh, as I need it, a little bit at a time. Number two, let's notice the next thing. So now we see the praise and thanks to God for this wisdom. Verse 15, God, so it's all in a dream still. So Solomon, before we read it, Solomon's in the dream, and he has this thing where, where he sees God ask him, and he prays it in the dream, and then he, and God responds back in the dream, I'm going to give that to you. And then verse 15 says what? Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And so what does he do? He's responding as if this is already completely answered. He came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So now he's not just in Gibeon where there was just the, the, there was the brazen altar. He goes a little closer to where, they haven't finished the temple yet. He goes to the Ark of the Covenant and he, and he offers up what? Burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. What is he doing? He has this encounter with God, this prayer and this dream, and God responds back, basically assuring him he's going to have wisdom, and he's going to enable him to do this thing he feels insufficient for. He wakes from the dream. He leaves Gibeon, and he goes to Jerusalem, where the Ark of the Covenant it was, which represented God's law and God's presence until the temple, of course, kind of encapsulated all that. And he offers up all these offerings and, and everything. What is he doing? He's saying thank you to God ahead of time. And he gives, let's have a feast. A lot of times these worship offerings were associated, they, can, they sometimes would eat as well. And he's like, let's have a feast. He's celebrating the fact that God's going to do it. <clears throat> God's going to do it here. See, look, Solomon doesn't know everything we know after this. We know the good and the bad after this. We know he's, he becomes incredibly popular, world-renowned 
he becomes. He becomes an international attraction Solomon becomes. He doesn't know that. He's just like, hey, God told me I'm going to be all right. And God told me he's going to give me incredible wisdom and some wealth. Boy, all right, I believe it. And he says, thank you, God. Praises the Lord for it. Worships the Lord through offering and through a feast. And uh, he gives him that praise and worship he deserves. And so that's his thanks for it. So sometimes, uh, you know, I look, I'm very, very kind of like real small comparison. I tend to do the same thing. Not that I'm making a feast, but I tend to do the same thing in moments for myself when I'm praying to God, asking for wisdom for something, and I get a sense where he's going to give me wisdom or he already puts it in my mind, the answer. And uh, I, um, even before he puts it in my mind, I'll say, God, thank you for that. I know you're going to give me the help. I know you're going to come through and you're going to show me what the answer should be in the next two hours of such and such issue. Thank you, God, ahead of time. I'm trusting you. That's part of my asking in faith. And he does. And I thank him for it. And so that's what Solomon did here. Let's go to the next point. This is number three, the proof of wisdom. And here's more of a long dialogue here, but this is a really cool story. The proof of wisdom. So that's the point in showing this, by the way. When it goes from verse 15 to verse 16, it says, then. So what is it doing? It's saying, okay, this whole thing happened to Solomon, this dream, and he prayed and God answered and said, you're going to get it. And he has this offering. And then here's what happened. See what it's doing? It's showing, look, this is proof that he got some wisdom from God. Here's what happened. Then there came, then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child. Now, so remember, we read this. She told the story. She says, look, you know what? Okay, ahead of time, it's hard. It's hard if you have two women fussing. It's hard to manage that. But if you have two mommies fussing, that's hard too. Ah! And so maybe some of the men in his court were already like, oh no, we've got two women. Come. Plus they're harlots. That complicates the thing. If they're still harlots, I mean, there could have been a death penalty thing going on. I don't know. But maybe this is the guys in the court like, oh my goodness, it's already happening in his administration. This is too early. These two women coming in, nobody else could figure out. They're coming in. This is going to be embarrassing. So you have the two women come in and... And Solomon listens, and the one woman says, listen, I had a baby, and I delivered the baby. I mean, I, the baby was mine, and three days later, this lady has her baby, and, and we're the only ones in the house. And, and um, one night, I, I, uh, I wake up, and I, I notice that I have, my baby's dead, and, and I realized that what had happened, I, I looked at the baby, I was going to breastfeed the baby, and I thought, wait a minute, that's not my baby. And then she looked, I said, I, then she says, I looked over at this other lady's baby, and I thought, that's my baby right there. And this other lady that's holding. And I realized that lady switched while I was sleeping. Because what had happened, that lady, after she had her baby, she must have been such a deep sleeper, she rolled over on and accidentally suffocated the baby, overlaid it. So she traded with me, and now I have this dead baby, and she has the living one king, and the living one is mine. And, the and this other lady who's, who was lying says, no, but the dead is thine and the living is mine. And she says, meow. <laughs> 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 okay. She says, no, no, no. 
the living is mine, the dead is yours. And they went back and forth, and Solomon says, okay, so you say the, the dead is hers and the living is yours, and you say that the living is yours and the dead is hers. Okay, so bring me a knife, you know. Bring me a sword, I should say, not a knife. <laughs> sword, very dramatic. Yeah, I mean, what, think about that. He's asking for a sword. We know how the story is going to turn out. We've watched it. We've watched it in the scripture and read it. Can you imagine how people felt? Bring me a sword. And maybe one of the king's men was already holding the living baby. Hand me the baby. Bring, and everybody, and maybe some of the court guys in the, in, that were in with Solomon are like, oh my goodness, I don't think this guy does have wisdom. Oh, this is going to be ugly. I thought it was already going to be bad with the two women fussing. Now they're going to cut one in half. Oh, my goodness. They were probably all on edge. Bring me a sword. So he bring, they bring him a sword. Probably one of the, his servants is holding the living baby. And uh, maybe the other, the, there was another servant holding the sword. And let's look at his language here. Bring me a sword. Where are we at? Uh, he says, the king said, verse 24, bring me a sword. They brought him a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. This is, this is perfect. Cut the baby in half. Give her that half and give her the other half. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Let's just pause and find, we know what, how it turns out, but you know what he's doing. What's he doing? He's calling out the real mama. He knows how to appeal to the real mama, the nature of a true mom, the nature of a mom whose child is still living. He's calling her out, and he's calling out the na- a mom who's still mourning. And he's going to find out by what happens. Cut the child in half. Verse 26, Then spake the woman whose living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. She said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child. And no wise slay it. You know, that, that, every mom can relate with that. It's like, I have my baby, I'm fighting for my baby, and now somebody's going to kill my baby. The, 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 the impulse is, no, give it over. Let it live. And she says, no, give the baby to her. Don't kill it in any wise. And this other one who's still in the bitterness of death and mournings wants somebody else to be equal with her. Says, no, let it not be mine nor thine, let it die. Because she's got her sorrow too. And Solomon figured it out right quick. Said, all right, let's stop, stop. Give her the baby, that's the real mom. And when that whole thing happens, so you, you, what's that? What's the point of that? The whole point is that it's a, it's a case in point, it's a uh, moment where you say, does this guy really have wisdom? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is, right there. He prayed for it, he thanked God for it, even before he had it. And here's this really on-edge situation where he, he displays it. And so the verse says, <laughs> in all Israel, verse 7, verse 28, all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. So there was proof of his wisdom. Let me just let me pause for a minute. We have still a little bit of time. So I, I'm not going to be in a scenario like this, you know. I don't think so, you know. Um, but do you think God, let me ask you this. Let's, let's ask ourselves. Do I think that God can show me how to discern life scenarios? Yeah. Yeah, I'm no King Solomon, but I'm a believer, and I'm just as valuable to have the Holy Spirit in me. 
Do I think God can show me how to discern life scenarios, relationships, situations, choices? I, I like it. I, I, this is kind of a, a little side here. You've heard me talk about George Washington Carver. Who knows who he is? Let me see if any of the teens or kids know. Teens or kids. Who's George Washington Carver? John, didn't you do a little paper on him? Did he start, was that, was that um, Booker T started it, I think, didn't he? And he worked, for, he worked with Booker T. Okay. Anybody know anything about particular kids, about George Washington Carver? It's not the, the first president, okay? Right. Not that. All right, who else? Who, what, what do you know about? What stands out? Peanuts. Peanuts, yeah. The maker of Skippy peanut butter. No, not really, not really. Okay, so that's, this is really cool. I wish I, after I'm around, I'm like, man, I want to know more about this guy. This is really cool. So what he did was he popularized the use of, well, he popularized hundreds of uses of the peanut. Hundreds. I'm like, hundreds? I'm like, oh, there's peanuts. And then there's, and then there's uh, peanut butter, and there's crunchy peanut butter, and then oil. You know, I'm like, well, I got about three or four. You know? Hundreds of uses. Well, it's true. And as a side, he also did the same for the sweet potato, the pecan, the soybean, cowpea, wild plum, and okra. He was in the South. He really helped with our economy in that sense of, of, uh, of uh, food uses. There's so much I want to tell you, but let me just tell you this. On January 21st, 1921, Carver, George Washington Carver addressed the United States House Ways and Means Committee on behalf of the, of the United Peanut Growers Association on the use of peanuts to help improve the southern economy. George expounded on the many potential uses of the peanut as a means to improve the southern economy. Initially, they were only going to give him 10 minutes to speak, but after hearing him speak, they were so enthralled that the committee chairman finally said, go ahead, brother, your time is unlimited, keep talking. And they were fascinated with what he was describing on the use of the peanut. So he ended up speaking for one hour and 45 minutes, explaining the many food products that could be derived from the peanut. And he said, if you go to the first chapter of Genesis, we can interpret very clearly, I think, what God intended when he said, behold, I have given you every herb that bears seed, to you it shall be meat. And this is what he means about it, it shall be meat. There is everything there to strengthen and nourish and keep the body alive and healthy. Then the committee chairman asked Carver, Dr. Carver, how did you learn all of these things? Carver answered, from an old book. What book? asked the chairman. Carver replied, the Bible. Then the chairman inquired, does the Bible tell us about peanuts? No, sir, Carver replied. But it tells about the God who made the peanut. And I asked him to show me what to do with the peanut, and he did. <laughs> and uh, isn't that neat? He said he got to a point where he's like, God... He's not paraphrasing that. He told people, God, show me the mysteries of the universe. And he said, God told me that's a little too much for you. I'll just show you what the, the mysteries of the peanut. And so he did. That's his testimony. And he, isn't that amazing? He credits God. He credits the word of God, but he credits connecting with God and asking God to open up his mind. So here's a man who also discovered God's wisdom in that sense. But let's go to the last part. We see the proof of his wisdom, but the last verse talks about the product of his wisdom. What does it produce? Verse 28, all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they what? They feared the king. 
They feared the king. They saw that the wisdom of God was in them to do justice. And again, the idea of fear is coupled with, yep, props to you, respect. He's, he's the guy. Because listen, Solomon comes in to be the king. He's the only the third king in Israel. There was Saul, eh, there was David, yay. And then there's Solomon the son. They didn't know what they were going to get. And so people were like, what kind, of, what kind of guy is this? You know, what kind of guy is this? His, uh, you know, he's got some crazy brothers. We're not sure about them, you know. And so after this whole incident, they're like, whoa, sir, yes, sir. They respected him. He, he, that, that was of God. Him sorting this thing out with these two women, that was of God. Wow. Again, the idea is they fear him, they respect him in a Godward sense that God did that for him. The product of getting wisdom is some respect. Let me just apply that to us. We'll start winding it down here a little bit. When you and I make wise choices, I think as a general rule, listen to this, especially kids, listen to this, and teens, when we make wise choices, as a general rule, it produces respect. It's not when you're like, you know, you're, you look good, you are good, you have cool, cool clothes. That, that's just kind of temporary surface respect. When, you, when we see it, ooh, you chose wisely. It produces respect from people. Wise choices will produce respect. Because sometimes people are like, oh, man, I've heard young people, even some young adults say, nobody respects me. I just want some people to respect me, man. Well, you know what you got to do? Act respectable to be respected. And in particular, when people see that you make wise choices, that, you know, you don't just blow $100 in half a day. Ah, you think through it. You tithe, and you kind of like, well, I'm going to pay my bills. Do I owe anybody? And you, ah, mm. Or you, you know, when, you're, when there's a group of friends and everybody's doing one thing and it happens to be bad and there's pressure on you and, and, and they, an adult or somebody observing you sees that you, you avoid that and go not in the path of the wicked and avoid it and pass not by it. And like, ah, oh, that was wise. And you gain respect. You know, um, uh, John's working at Safeway and he's, you know, he's hoping for a little promotion or raise at some point. He's, he's a little limited on the amount of hours and, and he's gotten, he's shown me that uh, he's been acting and working respectably from my perspective, and I've been hearing a few compliments from his uh, couple managers, and one in particular. I'm like, cool, keep being wise, John. You know. Act respectable, be wise in your decisions, and you earn respect. Now, we're going to wind this down. What kind of wisdom in particular did Solomon get? Let's do a little quiz. What, what in, besides this scenario, what else was he? Anything you remember? Anybody remember? Some of the things were like, he had judicial wisdom right here. Did you know he had some administrative wisdom? In the next chapter, he has all kinds of people assigned to, you're over the treasury, you're going to be my friend, you're over the military, you're over the navy. And he's just like, he gets things really orderly. You're over the food. You know what's cool about Solomon? He has like all these people from each tribe that are assigned to bring him food. Ooh, it's really cool. Anyways, uh, he's, yeah, that's wise. Bring me some food. He's botani botanically wise. He knows about trees and flowers and fruits and things he speaks about. Zo zoological wisdom, chapter 4, verse 33. Fiscal economic wisdom. He was a capitalist in chapter 9, verses 26 to 28. Military wisdom, chapter 9, verse 26 to 27. He had a navy. He was an international attraction. 
But one of the areas that we see that he lacked wisdom in was what? What's that? Yeah, his personal relationships. And I just want to conclude on this one thing. It's, it's good to have wisdom, but at most, we need to keep it most acutely used, and I don't know how to say it, most applied right where our heart is and where our first relationships are. So in other words, the first... I had Troy Carlson preach this passage one time at a men's thing. He's like, how come Solomon's so wise and then he blows it? And his theory was that God, that Solomon was basically asking God for wisdom in the, in the respect of everything except his family. He goes, maybe he should have asked it for his family. And that would have been, kept him out of trouble. And so I take this as, you know, I want that too. But, you know, I want it, first of all, in my interpersonal relationships and dealing with my wife wisely and my boys and my girls wisely in this church and let things go out from there. We need it and we can have it like Solomon.